Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Vicki Child Show on Hear Women Talk for the Zeus Radio Network. We're glad to have you with us today. We have a very special guest, Steve Brown, who is an author, a PI, has been a mentor to me for many years, and and we're glad to have him. Steve is the author of the book, The Idiot's Guide to Private Investigating. A Complete Idiot's Guide. Complete Idiot's Guide to yeah. Private Investigating. Thank you for that correction. And uh, a, a book that can be purchased at Amazon or any place that you can buy books, but uh, we're, we're glad to have him today. I wanted to kind of open up the show today and, and let people ask a lot of questions if they want to, because it's, it's great having somebody with Steve's experience and knowledge on here. Back in 1986, I got my start in private investigations after having spent some years in law enforcement uh, working for Steve. He hired me and took me on and, and trained me and did an excellent job, I think, training me. I certainly think he was a, a very good teacher and mentor and has continued to be. So for the last 23 years, I guess I've been doing this on my own, but, but Steve and I have, have called each other often and worked together on several things and and I'm thrilled to have him on today. Vicky, Welcome, Vicky, Steve. Uh, well, thank you, Vicky. Uh, has probably been the best investigator I ever had working for me over the last thirty years. So uh, it's always a delight to, to to see you and speak with you. Well, thank you so much. I I want the listeners to hear a little bit about your background. So tell us about that and how you got started in this business. Well, I was with the FBI for eleven years as a special agent and a supervisory special agent. Worked in um, Phoenix, Chicago, back to Phoenix, and then San Juan, Puerto Rico. And then after 11 years, I decided to leave the bureau and start my own PI agency here in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have made any changes. I mean, we all look back in our lives and say, well, I mean, right now I could have retired from the FBI uh, 12 years ago. <laughs> but I'm still working, so there you go. But uh, I've had lots of experiences, and many of them have come through Vicky, as a matter of fact. So, uh, but we do uh, down here. We do we do uh, some criminal defense work, which is kind of the dark side. But we do uh, missing children's cases, and we do family law cases. Um, we do law skip traces, and law corporate work, uh, both in the country and throughout the Caribbean and Central America, South America too. Um, so, you know, it's been a good career. And one of the one of the things I've used Steve on in some certain circumstances is when I needed information or knowledge about places down in the Caribbean because he has extensive knowledge down there and is quite the sailor um, has sailed all over the place down there and and was very helpful to me on a case in the Bahamas which we'll talk about later but Steve I wanted to to let our audience know a little bit about hiring a private investigator, what the process is, what somebody should go through. I get calls all the time and people say, I've never done this before, I don't even know what to do or where to start. And basically, most people I think would fall into that category. Most people don't ever want to have to hire a private investigator, but when they do, they, they kind of, they're at a loss for what exactly they should do, which is one of the reasons reading your book is great. Um, but So talk a little bit about your experience in that. That's, that's the first thing I tell them to do is go out and get the book. Of course. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm just joking about that. But really, they would be much better off if they did. Uh, but you're right. Most people call. have never hired a private investigator in the past. And they don't, don't know what to do, you know, where to go. And I, I 
call them down and tell them, well, I know what to do and where to go, and let's talk about your situation. And then they come up with, they'll say, well, I need a background investigation. Well, you know, that could mean uh, pre-employment background, they're looking to hire a nanny maybe, or it could mean that their husband and wife is fooling around on them and they want the background on that, you know. They just don't really, the term background is used by novices and many different meaning, many different things. Um, so then we have to have to figure out exactly what they want, and then then I try to advise them on the best way to that we can get the information that that they want. Basically, basically we're in the information business. It's just Vicky, that yours yours and mine approaches to getting the information is a little different than looking it up in the telephone book or in an encyclopedia or Wikipedia or someplace. Right, and a lot of people, when they come to me, it's it's for divorce cases, it's for family court situations, and they're they're already stressed, they're already very emotional, and and that's even harder sometimes to deal with. I want to back up just a second though and talk about the the different types of of private investigators. You mentioned different types of cases, but also statewide licensing and regulatory agencies in the various states oversee licensing of private investigators. In South Carolina, where I am, it is the State Law Enforcement Division, division also known as SLED. They are our state police, and they have a regulatory department which oversees the licensing for private investigators and security professionals and a number of other things. And we have to apply through them to get our license. We are required to have a bond we are required to have experience, three years experience in law enforcement as an investigator or having worked three years for a private investigator or a combination of education and experience. But all states are different and there are a few states in the country that do not require licensing. If the private investigator has a license, you know they've gone through a background check and you know that they've been approved by the regulating agency to get that license. In Florida, explain a little bit in Florida about the licensing procedure. Well, in Florida, you have to have a two years of prior experience, investigative experience. Now, patrol experience as a, as a patrolman in a police department will not get you the, the licensing, will not fulfill those licensing requirements. They have to be investigative experience. So you can get those through, uh, you know, the state's attorney's investigator or police department, some type of investigator, or working full-time for two years, as a, a junior licensee, we call CC license in Florida, under a regular C, which is your regular investigator's license, for two years. Um, now, if you have a uh, degree in criminal justice, it will reduce that from two years to one year. Um, and then you still have to pass a test uh, that, that basically goes over uh, the uh, statutes, that's Florida, Florida Statute 493 that controls private investigative industry have to pass a test, uh, take a, I think it's a 40-hour class now to pass a test. Mm -hmm. And in Georgia, I'm, I'm licensed in Georgia too, they require a number of years experience and they also require now a, a class. They've, they've always required a test, but now they actually have a class too, unless you're grandfathered in. And, and some of the states are going that route and requiring classes um, and, and tests. Also in Georgia, you have to have a twenty-five thousand dollar bond. In South Carolina, it's ten thousand, and you have, or you have to carry errors and emissions and liability insurance, which I I carry anyway, even though it's not a state requirement here. I've carried it for years, and some of the states now are requiring that 
that E&O and liability insurance, which is just another way of protecting the public, too. The uh, Florida just dropped their requirements on that. They had required for 30 years that we, that we carry a minimum of $100,000 uh, liability insurance errors and emissions. We usually carried a million. But uh, about two years ago, they came up uh, with a new plan and said they'd done a thorough, thorough review of it and did not see where requiring private investigative agencies to carry that uh, insurance protected the uh, public at all, and they dropped that requirement, which is mm-hmm. kind of a shocker. Yeah. yeah, that is kind of a, a shocker. I carry it, even though I'm not required, I carry it just for, for my protection uh, so I don't get sued out the wazoo. But uh, unfortunately, I've never had to use it. But um, So licensing is one of those well, well, areas. See, that's, that, that's the question there. You've never been sued. How long have you been in business up there? 24 years, 23. I've been in business 30 years now, I've been sued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so licensing is one of those areas that the public needs to be aware if if their state requires that and they can confirm that the investigator they're hiring has a license. Also, contracts. Some states require a contract. Our state does. It is designed to protect the public, and it actually has to be approved by our licensing authority. But the contract is basically, what they're looking for in that is to say, this is how much you charge per hour, this is how much you charge per mile, this is what the client can expect, a report basically, and and it, it doesn't have to be extremely detailed, but the the licensing authority wants the public to have that contract so that they are protected. And I've been doing a contract with my clients for almost the entire time I've been in business, but the client gets a copy, and and, uh, and I keep a copy, obviously. And it's also a way for us to show if if we are asked or, or stopped by a, a uh, law enforcement agency and they want to know what we're doing there. Not only do we show our license, but we can also show that we've entered into an, a, con- a contract with the party and that we're there legitimately and, and have a, a reason for being there. So the... The public needs to know, too, that some investigators require contracts. Some also require retainers, which is an amount of money up front. That money is then used to to pay for that that investigation. And some retainers are refundable, and some retainers are non-refundable. So the public might want to know about that as well. And that um, should be spelled out in the contract. It should uh, be. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, Vicki was kind enough to send me a copy of her contract, in 2002, and that's the copy uh, that's in the back of the complete e to private investigating. And you, I don't know if you've changed it since then or not, <laughs> but but I haven't. It's pretty simple, basic, straightforward. Right, and mine has changed very little since then. I did add a, a statement or two that that SLED was requiring to oh, be well, in the contract, so well, I did that. Down to me. I'll put it in the next edition to be out next year. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, so we've we've covered licensing and contract and tra- contracts, and also back, expectation. Back, back. Back to the licensing, you know, uh-huh. um, well, there are, traditionally, the private investigative business has been a bunch of low-life window peeper, people, peepers, mm-hmm. okay? you know, um, but the state organizations that have developed have tried to raise that uh, bar, and I've always tried to raise that bar as a, as a professional, having come from the FBI, um, but when you just get your private investigator's name and number out of the phone book, 
you need to do some due diligence on them. It's, it's uh, find some, some other people they've worked for, call some attorneys, uh, and see who they recommend. Now, the attorneys don't always know who's good and who's, who's bad, but mm-hmm. I would not... Um, if you're going to hire a private investigator, you'd sit down with him or her and make sure that that's the person you want working on your team. Absolutely, and and I, it never bothers me at all when people ask for references. I don't mind giving references, and if they if they want to talk to other people who have hired me or, or, or attorneys in particular, I certainly don't mind giving that information out, just so they know and they feel comfortable. And most of the most of the cases I get are referred anyway from an insurance company or an attorney, and so most people come to me already knowing. Likewise, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages of being in business so long is that you you build up a pretty good uh, referral list. But uh, expectations, too. People come sometimes and they have these great expectations and they think that I'm going to be able to pull information out of my head or or get things that really are unrealistic because we only have access to certain things. We are not law enforcement. We can't pull up things on the NCIC, National Crime Information Computer. We don't have the ability to just you know chase people down and and run every tag number that we see although I do get a lot of requests for that um, so people have unrealistic expectations sometimes from what they've seen on TV being able to break into places and get information and solve a case in in an hour and a half and th- those kind of expectations aren't realistic and uh, certainly when asked to do certain things whether it's bug a telephone or other things I make sure they understand that I do this legally and I don't break any laws to get any information that I get. But I'm sure you've had those requests, too. Well, there, and there are sometimes private industry, us being private industry, sometimes we leapfrog with uh, law enforcement. Back in the old days, 20 years ago, um, we had uh, what was then called auto data direct. Law enforcement didn't have that. Uh, and it was a tremendous resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, then, now law enforcement, you know, came in, came on board with that, and they're one of the biggest users. Uh, and they've changed names, not Choice Point, but uh, uh, sorry, if somebody's trying to call me, it's my fault, beeping if you hear that. Um, okay, but yeah, Auto Track was one of the first. I used to use Auto Track, and it, it was right. a when you had dial in, you dialed into it, and then you were charged by the minute. Yeah. yeah. And you would, uh, they, were only, they were only selling it to private investigators and attorneys. Mm-hmm. Of course, the bigger market was law enforcement. And, and, and even then, and even now, um, law enforcement is handicapped, even in the FBI. Uh, if they want to run something through one of these paid, database, paid databases, a special agent has to take a request to a clerk who handles it so they can control their costs. And you can mm-hmm. see how costs can get out of hand if you had, you know, a hundred guys running stuff willy nilly. But still, sure. Um, and then there there are other things that, uh, like uh, you and I, briefly mentioned earlier, uh, email traces, where uh, through some of the databases, private databases that we have access to, they compile information and pick up uh, uh, correlate information through credit. And through uh, network and through uh, 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 online meeting places. Social places. social networking. Mm-hmm. Social networking, and then compile those uh, all those um, emails 
And so uh, now law enforcement can do that as well, and they have access to, to the same material, but I don't know how often they use that. But, but they have different needs. But certainly we can't get into NCIC, but, uh, but, but there's a lot we can do, though. Yeah, there is a lot we can do, and one of the one of the advantages I think of 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 having to do things outside the realm of law enforcement is that we learned to do things more thoroughly and with greater authenticity, I think, than somebody who can just pop it up on a computer automatically. We know because they they see things as look, I can enter this and it pops up on my screen. We have to go and figure out where it comes from, how it gets there, whether it's accurate, what what sources are used to compile that information. And we actually come out with a lot better knowledge sometimes than, yeah. uh, and than the those accuracy, who... The accuracy is the thing is that it, it's really hard to replace shoe leather. You know? mm-hmm. um, it's one thing to go on to some database and, and you look for somebody... Uh, Justin Brown, you know, and he pops up at two or three different addresses. But, uh, and that's good, but that's just, that's just a starting place. Then you have to go out there and verify it's there. Exactly, and verify all the, the information that you get on the computer. Steve, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to okay. be talking about spending and online reports and online data and what people can get themselves and what they need us for. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay with us on Hear Women Talk, part of the Zeus Radio Network. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to the Vicki Child Show PI Answers. We have our, as our guest today, Stephen Brown. And Steve is an author and a private investigator. He's the author of the Complete Idiot's Guide to Private Investigating. You're able to purchase that at Amazon.com and any other location where books are sold. Right, Steve? Right, yeah. Barnes Noble, Borders, yeah. Books right. Yeah. So we've been talking about hiring a private investigator, licensing contracts, and what expectations you can have. Um, a little bit about spending. I know in my area, spending prices depend on where you are, the geographical location of your your business and your and in your office, and also experience. And a lot of people come to me and they they don't like it when I quote them a price. And the prices here in South Carolina, I guess, vary from probably forty-five dollars an hour to hundred dollars an hour. But they don't understand that with that comes knowledge and experience and and uh, good referrals actually, uh, and a and a good background of honest and honesty and integrity in in the investigative business. So, what have you found in that, Steve, as far as cost? Well, you know, let's uh, let me put this in the in the context of a, of a case we worked down here just a little while ago. Uh, actually, it was a case out of South Carolina. Um, now, South Carolina, it, adultery is still a factor in your divorce settlements. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case in Florida, and we had a, uh, I had another investigator in South Carolina call me on emergency and say, Steve, this guy's going to be down at a certain uh, campsite um, this weekend with his girlfriend, and he's he's from uh, Jacksonville, but his girlfriend's from South Carolina. It's the girlfriend's husband that hired my the investigator there in South Carolina, and. Um, I said, do you want us to go to 
get a camper and go out in this uh, camping area and, and in South Carolina, I guess <clears throat> he needs um, proof of affection, that is, like holding hands, kissing, or something like that, mm-hmm. plus, plus the opportunity to prove that there's the opportunity for sexual misconduct, so at least two hours inside of a closed room or a motel room, or in this case, the camper. Well, um, we didn't know what the schedule was going to be. All we knew is this was the last opportunity that they'd have to get the two of them together for some period of time. So we went out and got this camper. By the time we got out there, it was like 10 o'clock at night. And um, they left about 6 o'clock. This was Friday night. They left about 6 o'clock Saturday morning and were gone all day. Um, and so I got sitting around all day. And then they not get back until uh, the next morning. So we were all day, all night, into Sunday now, when about Sunday noon they show up, so who knows where they went Saturday night. Well, we're, of course, charging the client for all this time out there, because we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know sure. where they're going or not. So I called my, the guy who referred the case to me and said, well, did you get, how much retainer did you get from this guy? Because we're going to be way over whatever you got. Oh, I got plenty, so he told me how much you got. I said, no, man, you're not. He took like a $1,500 retainer. I said, that's not going to cut it. Uh, but when they got back on Sunday, we got the displays of affection. We got them kissing, holding hands, jogging together, holding hands, handing pitching pitch around the butt. Then they spend the night inside the motorhome, and we get them leaving the next morning. Okay, so we got everything we needed. Mm-hmm. So told, our total bill came to like 4500 bucks. Mm-hmm. But and then he had to add on his piece on top of that, so I'm sure it came to a lot more than what the person would have expected to start with. But we got exactly everything that he had to have, and how much that saves him down the road is going to be a lot more than forty-five hundred dollars. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're right about you're right about divorce cases in South Carolina. Adultery is still a big factor because it is one of the grounds for divorce, and it keeps you from having to wait the one-year separation that's required by law. And it also bars alimony. So, yeah. if if he or she is committing adultery and the other party is subject to pay alimony, then it bars the adulterer from alimony. Period. Interesting. Yeah. So well, it's it's used a lot here. Had he uh, hired somebody who was less professional, you know, the guy would have given it up. When we got there that Friday night, we couldn't get a spot that would give, that give us a good view of where these people were camped. And, and we thought about, well, crap, what are we going to do? Because we can't see where we were. But we went in anyway, got a bad spot. But then the next morning, a spot right across the, the driveway from where they were opened up. And so we moved the trailer over to there. So we had the perfect spot. You know, it's just, I and mean, some things fell into place, but... It, but you had to work at it to make it work. Yeah. Okay, Steve, I, I want to give out a phone number that listeners can call in, 646-652-2071. And right now we do have a call on the line from D.C. So, uh, D.C., you have a question for Steve? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was wondering, have you ever had to investigate a murder? Oh, yeah, um, sure, absolutely, a number of them. Um, but those usually come in about three different methods. Sometimes we get a case that comes to us where the coroner's office or the police department says it's a suicide, but the family um, thinks it's not a suicide. And I've seen it go both ways, where it really was a suicide and the family was just distraught and didn't want to accept it. And I've seen where it was not, where it was set up, looked like a suicide. Uh, and the sheriff's office has already, already written it off. 
but we got in there and in fact showed there was not a suicide. So those are two ways. And the third way we get it often is, uh, uh, well, that's one way, a criminal defense case where in this case our client is probably already convicted or is being charged with the murder. And uh, I, I know right now I did one. I didn't get in on the case originally. They always come to us too late, you know. They, mm -hmm. they use some public defender and some public defender um, investigator and uh, on the. On When's a good time to come to you then? Like when when they when they get arrested. When you suspect it immediately, you know, when you start to suspect it, or um, evidence disappears. Uh, mm -hmm. I still tell you, I, I I worked this case down here. His name is Jason Fontaine. He's got and sentenced to life imprisonment down here for a murder he did not commit. And I absolutely know he did not commit that murder. Um, did you help get him off? Well, we did a... Or get him acquitted? Uh, we, we filed an appeal. problem is, with that particular case, a couple of problems. Uh, he confessed to it, which is always a problem. But he was... He Why did he confess to a crime that he did not commit? Because the person who committed the crime was his girlfriend, and she was pregnant with his baby. And just uh, Jason is not the smartest bulb in the pack. Uh, this was his first girlfriend, and she was quite a manipulator. And it gets real complicated. But um, So he's kind of screwed, isn't he? Pretty much. Uh, and the problem is he doesn't have any money. Uh, neither the attorney nor I want to work this case any further without getting paid for it. Um, in fact, they still owe me some money, but I kind of have a soft spot because I know he didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> Um, so well, I think in this case you're going to get paid in chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and you and well, you know, sometimes if if I uh, if I were able to barter a case, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, and, right. And, and um, I uh, I also do murder cases. I most of the murder cases I do are capital murder cases, which means that the the case qualifies for the death penalty. And I do those through getting hired through court appointed attorneys and then work in those cases and and the state pays for it because the state pays for indigent defender defendants so those are are very complicated because it's a capital case first of all and the death penalty is on the table and there there are also <coughs> mitigation investigators that are hired to do the background of that person and find all the things in the in their background that that might help mitigate that case, you know, that he was abused as a child or or went from one broken home to another or whatever mitigating factors are that there might that might be explained to the jury to help offset something that the person has done. So I do the fact investigation and go back behind all, all the police work, interview all the witnesses, and, and go through that process of trying to find information that maybe the police didn't find. But what Steve, the point he made in getting in on a case early is so important because if we are able to get in early in that investigation while the police are still doing their work, the witnesses aren't, haven't disappeared, some evidence hasn't disappeared, and there are ways to find out information that can be helpful that maybe you can't find out two or three years down the road. Let's so, give you an example. I presume you're familiar with the Haley Cummings case down here in Florida. Haley Cummings was a five-year-old girl who disappeared from her motorhome or trailer in February of 2009. Um, if you Google her, she, she's on, gets lots of national media attention, 
particularly on the Nancy Grace show and the James Les Mitchell show on Headline News almost every week. Um, if you Google her, Haley Cummings, you'll see her all over the place. Um, Haley was in a... Her, her, her father had custody of her and her little brother, and um, the father had a girlfriend named Misty Crosland who was 16 years old, 17, I guess, all the time. Six, I don't know, 16. Very young, yeah, I'm familiar with that case too. He was 25. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he, he had a late night shift. He, he gets home at 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Haley's, this, Haley's no longer in the trailer. The girlfriend is sort of distraught. And uh, so I got, I got in that case about six months later, and uh, pretty well solved that case. Uh, I'm still working with the uh, Putnam County Sheriff's Office. They're not working with me, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but it's one way street. <clears throat> but uh, I, I know who took Haley, I know who killed her, I know how she's killed, I know where the body was dumped. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that it's a year and a half later now, and um, um, there's not any physical evidence to the body, and so they're having a hard time trying to charge the culpable party because there's a, because a lack of physical evidence. Mm-hmm. And I got into that just about six months late, but that's not too that's not too late. But it would have been better if I got in the earlier, probably. DC, did did that answer your question? DC, she must be gone. Anyway, Steve, we need to take a break, okay. and and when we come back, we'll talk some more about that. We'll talk about some online reports and other searches that people can do. And you're listening to the Vicky Child Show on Hear Women Talk, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. And we'll be right back. Thank you and welcome back to the Vicki Childs Show here on Hear Women Talk. We're talking today with Steve Brown, who is an author and a private investigator in Florida. Steve, uh, before the break we were talking about cost and how much private investigations cost in different areas and how some places charge or some people charge a little bit of money and some people charge a lot. And all that's based on geographic location and experience. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about online reports too because those cost and some people see that they can get information with just providing 40 50 bucks on their credit card they can get certain information on people they're looking for so let's talk about that online reports and okay. how reliable they are yeah I've um, I'm sure you had this experience as well I've had clients come to me and say well here's a report I've got from Intellius I paid $185 for or here's a report I got from backgroundcheck.com or other places. Um, and the information often is unintelligible because they're, because the information that the client has put in is not specific enough to draw out. Uh, like if you, if you put Steve Brown in, okay, you're going to get, you know, a gazillion hits on Steve Brown, right? Mm -hmm. But Stephen Carey Brown, well, that will narrow it down. If you put my date of birth, my social security number, they'll narrow it down more. But you're going to pay big bucks, bigger bucks for that than what a private investigator, what a good private investigator will charge you. Uh, it's, it's easy, and it's unfortunate that it's so easy, but it's, uh, uh, I, I, well, I strongly recommend staying away from those kind of sites. 
Yeah, I do too. And a lot of people just do a simple Google search, and sometimes that gets them what they want. Sometimes it's a matter of putting a, a, a especially if you have an uncommon name. You know, Joe Smith's going to be Joe Smith always. But if you if you have an uncommon name and you put in a that name in a, a city, you're going to come up with some addresses, maybe some information on that person. But what we use and what we subscribe to are databases that the public doesn't have access to. We get more update informa updated information. We, we have to be approved by those databases before they'll even let us do searches on there. And every time we do a search, we have to give one of the legal reasons that we're doing that search, and that's to protect them and to protect us. But um, the public doesn't have access to that. And investigators charge different amounts for the amount of time and the number of reports they have to search. But we have things that the the general public doesn't have access to, and it stays updated daily, weekly, monthly, depending on the kind of information. Um, so we're able to get information that most people can't get. And it, if it's in part of a legal investigation that we're working on, I do these searches every day. I don't know about you, but it's for me, it's almost everyday thing where I'm having to go online and do some of these searches that help me in a case and help locate witnesses or, or locate deadbeat dads who aren't paying their child support or whatever the case may be. And that, that's it. Go ahead. Uh, I had a case uh, a couple of months ago. A guy was a captain of a boat. They had the boat down in uh, West Palm Beach. And his wife thought he was having an affair and asked me to go down there and spend the weekend watching him. So it turned out I got, I've got this motel room right across the street from the marina where I could keep a good eye on the boat. And he had no, and I followed him out to dinner and stuff. He had no uh, female visitors, no male visitors, actually. But at 1 o'clock in the morning, he was out there talking on his cell phone for like two, three hours, you know. And normally those kind of cell phone calls, it's probably not to his wife. So who is he calling? So we, we, she got his uh, phone records and got me that uh, cell phone number. And we did a thing called voicemail probe, where we dial into the cell phone number, and it does not ring the cell phone. It goes right to voicemail, uh, and then it, and it records the voicemail. And so the, the woman on the voicemail said, hey, this is Jackie or Jessica or whatever it was. You know, sorry, I can't get the phone right now. And uh, she never knew the call had ever come through. I have a recording of the voicemail. I, so I play that to my client. And I send it to her as well. I play it to her, and she said, "Well, that's the wife of the owner." Well, the owner is like, I think he's dead now. He died a few months later. The owner is like eighty years old. The wife was fifty, <laughs> mm -hmm. okay? and that's who he was fooling around with. Because you know, he was just, he was just, there were hundreds of phone calls that that to her cell phone. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think you can. Well, that's a tool that we have available to us anyway. Right, it right. Works pretty well. Yeah. Right, and speaking of cell phones, there are more and more people are relying on their cell phones, and some people right. don't even have landlines anymore. Right. But there's no national cell phone directory, no white pages for cell phones like you have for landlines. So I can't go to information and say, "Give me the number for Joe Blow," but I want a cell phone number. There's no, there's no national repository for that information that I'm aware of. So with cell phones. I know on some of these paid databases that we use, cell phones 
are identifiable, you can put in a number and get a name. What I have found is that most of the time, if that person relies on their cell phone mostly or completely and doesn't have a landline, the information will come up. It'll give the name and address of the person who owns that cell phone. If, if it doesn't, though, what it sometimes does give is the cell phone number, the zip code that it's registered to, and the cell phone carrier. So then if you have a case where there's actually a, a filed lawsuit, then the attorney can subpoena the cell phone records from Verizon or Sprint or whoever it is and get the information that you're sometimes looking for, which is, who is that person calling? So I, I say good luck with that, with subpoenaing the, the cell phone records. Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. And it and it gives a a lot of good information that's usable in, in different ways, lots of different ways. Sometimes you find out they've been calling financial institutions, and that's where they hide their money. Sometimes you find out they've been calling a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or maybe they're calling a drug dealer. Who knows? We're but trying uh, get, we're trying to get the service on a guy down in. Uh, Mexico and uh, Tijuana or someplace, Cabo San Lucas, I guess. <clears throat> and so he subpoenaed his uh, uh, cell phone rec records. And I just started going down the list of the people he called, and the second person on the list, which was a New York number, I said, oh, listen, I need to get hold of Joe Blow. I'm having a hard time to find him. Do you know where he is? Oh, yeah, he just started a restaurant down in Cabo San Lucas, uh, Cabo San Lucas. Um, well, do you have a number for him? Well, yeah, I got two numbers. One's the same Indian number, one's a Mexican number. He gave them to me, and and uh, we called down there. One went to the restaurant. They had just started, and we got got what we needed, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, but we yeah, wouldn't it's, got, we wouldn't have gotten that without uh, having his old cell phone records. Yeah, and it's so they're they're helpful to us in a lot of ways. And again, it's it's because we're working on a legal case and we're doing this legally and we're trying to find out this information for a good reason, not a bad reason. And and then attorneys can sometimes act on that with subpoenas and and it helps us solve a case. Um, I want to talk to Steve about other public records that are available to people if they're looking for somebody or something or some some information that helps them get what they need what are some good public record sources and and also well we'll talk about the DPPA in a minute but what in your opinion are some good public well, record sources um, and I understand you've got an ebook coming out dealing yeah, with do. public records so talk about the, that uh, be later late in the fall before it's put together uh, I'm, I'm working on this book called uh, five things women need to know about the man they're dating and how to find them out and it'll give you a link into a database I'm putting up for all the free county criminal record searches in the in the United States. It's like 3,600 counties. Now, um, some counties are not free. Well, by free, I mean they're not online. You can't sit here in Palm Beach, Florida, and, and uh, go and get some out of. Um, well. I can't think of a place right offhand, but, uh, <laughs> well, I can't. The, the Justice Court in Reno, Nevada, okay, you can't do that. <clears throat> but you can get the Circuit Court in Reno, Nevada. They're online, okay. But uh, in Nevada, you really need to search Justice Courts, too, because they handle, also handle felonies, misdemeanors, DUIs, stuff like that. But if you're trying to find out criminal records, uh, it'll be a great database. And if you, if, if you need something from a court 
that is not free that you can't do yourself or don't want to do yourself, then um, we'll do it for you for very reasonable cost. But that's you know, basically late fall before that's up and about. So in the meantime, what I recommend if you if you just don't, I had I, I had this lady last week call me and say she's been she met this guy on a social networking site. They've been IMing each other. <clears throat> his son was in a car accident. His young son was in a car accident. And he didn't have any money. He needed 500 bucks for whatever. So she sent him $500. Okay. Then she started getting a little suspicious. So she calls me and says, you know, who is this guy? Can you find out anything for me? So she gives me his name. And I run that name. It's not a very common name. He does not, that name does not exist anywhere in the United States. And through any of the databases I could run it through, okay? Uh, which gives me a little queasy feeling in my stomach, right? Uh, so I call him back and say, well, how did you get the money to him? Well, he has a good friend named Robert whatever, and uh, <clears throat> Western Union money to him. Well, let's take a look at him. So we take a look at him, and he's the, the person that she, she is allegedly I am in, um, is 40 years old. Now, this woman just lost her husband to cancer about three months ago. She's 38, and so, you know, she's depressed and lonely, and this guy comes on. Well, it turns out this other guy that she Western Union the money to is the guy she's been not having. <laughs> but he denies that. He, he, she, she accused him of it, uh, and he, he says, no, your, your partner investor is lying to you. Like, I have some reason to lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's my <clears throat> and uh, but we didn't find any real criminal record on on this older guy, sixty two year old guy who's the one she's probably been in Miami. And she says, Well, I don't know what to do. I didn't prove anything. Well, we proved that the guy you think he is, he's not. He's not forty years old, he's sixty two. The guy you're thinking or I am in, does not exist. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have doesn't have a telephone number, okay? Doesn't give his address. <laughs> And then he wants another thousand dollars from her. But he certainly will take your money. But I'll take the money through through this third party. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. All right, Steve. We got to take a break. When we come back, okay. though, we're going to we're talk a little bit more about surveillance right. and how surveillance is helpful and when it's easy and when it's not. And we'll we'll talk about the Bahamas case too. So we'll be back on Hear Women Talk in the Zeus Radio Network. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to the Vicki Child Show on Hear Women Talk, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. If you have a call-in question for us today, you can call at 646-652-2071. So we're, we're here with Steve Brown today talking about private investigations, all sorts of them, and public records and what's available and what's not. Uh, just a brief thing about the DPPA I mentioned before the break. The, the DPPA, the driver... Privacy Protection Act came about in 1993, I think, wasn't it, Steve? And, and resulted from the murder of Rebecca Schaefer in California. Rebecca Schaefer was an actress who was stalked, for lack of a better term, by a guy who went to a private investigator and said, "Get it, check with driving records. I want to know what her home address is. And he got that information, gave it to this guy, and the guy went there, and when she opened the door, he shot and killed her. That started a storm of protection for, for driver records, certainly, and, and other information as well. But the DPPA 
also has an exemption for private investigators who are working in a legal capacity and need certain information that is protected. And as a result of that, we have access to databases that give us information that is not generally available to the public. So when we say we use paid databases, we do, and, and we have to give a DPPA reason for our search every time we log on. So that's, that's what I was referring to with the DPPA. Actually, it's kind of a little more interesting story if you got just a second. Um, yeah. yeah Re Rebecca Schaefer played uh, my sister on the TV. Uh, my sister Sam. My sister Sam. And she did get a private investigator. He did get the uh, stalker. He did get a private investigator to pull her driver record, her driver's license information to get her home address. And he went there, knocked on the door. She was expecting, expecting Francis Ford Coppola to talk to her about the script of Godfather 3. So she opened the door. This other guy was staying there, so she said, well, please, she said, I'm expecting company, please leave. So he did. <clears throat> he waited around a little while, went back up, knocked on the door, and then hit around the corner so that she would have to come out and open the door to see who was there, that she could look through her people and see him. And then when she came out, then he shot and killed her. For, I don't know yeah. Uh, yeah, and and it yeah, horribly, horribly sad way to to get some laws changed, but certainly because we have an exception and we can use driver information in, in certain, for certain reasons, it is helpful to us and certainly in my business, whether it's a murder case or uh, any other case that I'm working on, it's often necessary, even in background checks for pre-employment backgrounds, to check somebody's driver history to see if they have a, a history of DUIs and traffic offenses that Yet, it, yet the the company they're trying to work for requires them to drive a truck on a constant basis, or a company oh, car on or, a constant uh, basis. So. I do this on nanny checks, where you know, if nanny's going to be driving the kids around, you want to know if she has DUIs and what her driving record is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I want to talk some about surveillance. I, in my private investigative business, it's primarily what we do. Whether it's an insurance case or a divorce case or a custody case, we do an awful lot of it. And people have different expectations of surveillance. Some people realize that it's hard to do, hard to follow somebody around, and some people think that you can do it just like they do on TV and never be seen. But we we follow people who are automatically suspicious. I tell my clients, if 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 this person is doing something wrong that they know they're not supposed to do, then they're going to be suspicious, which typically means that they're going to be looking over their shoulder. So surveillance is hard when you consider traffic, when you consider that you can't stay on that person's butt all the time without being noticed, and can't sit in some neighborhoods without being noticed. So it is quite difficult. And in your experience, Steve, what have you found with surveillance and client expectations? Well... <clears throat> It's the old crystal ball thing. You, you don't know where the uh, subject's going to go. If you know where they're going or where they're going to end up, well, then you can lay back and just catch up to them. Um, we found uh, good use for global position tracking systems. Um, we charge a daily rate for, by the week, uh, usually a two-week minimum. <clears throat> and they, uh, they're a big boon, frankly, in helping solve that problem. Um, but some people, I had this case the other day, well, that's a couple weeks ago now, I'll say the other day, actually a couple of years ago, be truthful about it. 
where <clears throat> this woman comes to me and says, we got time for this? I'll make it quick. Yeah. And says, um, she thinks her husband's fooling around, but she, but she doesn't think, she, she does not think he's having sex with the other woman uh, because he's 72 years old, they haven't had sex in 15 years, and he's gone, she's gone to his urologist, and then the, his urologist says, no, he can't have sex, okay? <clears throat> so we follow him, uh, but she wants to see what's going on. And they've got lots of money. I mean, like $300 million. Okay, big bucks. Mm. Um, so we follow him out the first night. She's out of town. Um, and um, he goes over to this other woman's condo on the beach, picks her up, uh, goes upstairs to her condo, comes back down, puts her in the car. They drive off, and they have dinner and dancing. They smoke some pot in the car. And, uh, yeah, these are all folks, right? <laughs> Smoking joints. And... Um, then he takes her back up to to her condo, <clears throat> and so um, I, I know her. I know her because she's kind of prominent. And he's very prominent. I know somebody who's good friends with her. I say, look, to this friend of mine on QT, what's going on with so and so? Oh yeah, man, she's got this new guy, and they're just having this wild sex. And I thought, well, I said, well, he's kind of old. Well, she just brings it out in him, you know. So <clears throat> now I have to tell my client this, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I tell my client, she, she comes back in, and I say, you know, I think. Um, Robert is having sex with Barbara, and um, I, and I have a friend who knows him, and she says, it's, you know, they, they are having a sexual relationship. And, <clears throat> and she says, well, you know, Robert's made a lot of money for us over the years, you know, like $300 million. So I guess if she can do that for him, I guess that's okay. <laughs> now, my jaw dropped, okay? And, I, and she said, now tell me exactly what you saw. I said, well, he went over to a condo, went upstairs, came back down, opened the car door for her, put her in, they drove off. Wait, wait, he did what? I said, you opened the car door for her. He's not opened the car door for me for 20 years. I want you to bust his butt. <laughs> okay? So, so suddenly mean, yeah. it's an issue. Yeah, yeah that was the, the, uh, the, uh, the respect was the issue here. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, they got divorced. The they got divorced. Yeah. Some of our some of our pictures end up on the internet by that she put up there actually. Wow. <laughs> if, you gave, if you gave a name, you could Google it and see it by all. Well, I want to uh, promise, and I want to talk a little bit about the Bahamas case we did together. Steve is a, a sailor and a boat captain, and I had a case a few years ago where a client came to me and said, "My wife is going to be on our yacht at a, a sort of an exclusive marina in the Bahamas, and I need you to go down there and I need you to watch her." But you can stay in a hotel there. And I said, well, how, if I stay in a hotel, how am I going to see the marina? So long story short, we needed a boat. We needed a boat to be in the same marina and and close to her to be able to watch her activities. So I called Steve, and I said, hey, let's get a boat and find one in Miami and take it down to the Bahamas, and I'll fly down there and meet you. And uh, that's what we ended up doing. Steve and his wife took a boat from Miami down to Nassau, and uh, I flew to Nassau, met up with them, and we went over to this island in our small yacht that looked like a dinghy compared to most of them. And we ended up sitting there all week and finally caught this woman. We we sort of knew who the guy was, and we knew that he looked like a young Richard Gere, so we were all the time looking for a young Richard Gere. Probably about the third night we were there, he showed up in the marina bar, and then Steve sidled up to a guy at the bar and was able to find out that, yeah, that that guy worked on a 
support fishing boat and he was the first mate and they were gone all day fishing in a tournament but they got back in about four in the afternoon so this guy's nights were free but his days were not so then that limited when we needed to be watching so during the day we actually had fun playing on the beach and doing whatever we wanted to and at night though we were we were spot on and we were working it pretty hard and going to all these bars on the island in a golf cart because that's the only way to get around but we we ended up catching her come to the boat with him there was plenty of affection between them we they were on that boat for literally an hour and they were on there alone with the exception of the boat skipper and his wife who was the uh i guess the chief maiden bottle washer but they went on the boat came off the boat her in different clothes so she had changed clothes we got video we got we observed all this stuff going on and then she took him back to his marina and we got some more affection over there so all of that was was a fabulous week in the bahamas and me being able to call steve and saying hey you're a boat captain get a boat and it was great steve we don't get many of those unfortunately but it was certainly fun so i tell the story as being the most expensive sex i've ever seen <laughs> that's true because the client was worth like a hundred million. A lot dollars. of a lot of millions, okay. yeah. And when he put, when his attorney saw the materials we gathered, he said, "Well, you guys have been married twenty years. You got a number of kids. You know, normally she would get fifty percent, but because of this adultery, she's not going to get that much. She'll get something because of the number of years." So I think at that point, the attorney says she'll probably get about ten million dollars, which means forty million dollars she didn't get, or twenty million dollars for each sexual episode. Mm -hmm. so that's most expensive sex I've ever seen. <laughs> Twenty million dollars. Yeah, and she lost. She lost any chance at alimony. She did get a, a small settlement. I think they were their their conversation with me said, "Look, if we can hold her to five million, we'll be happy." And I think they were able to do that oh, with so with with some other perks thrown in there. But yeah, it it turned so out 20, that so it's twenty two million five hundred thousand per sexual episode. Well, there you go. Price went up. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's it's one of those situations where the surveillance was was great fun and we got what we needed to get all on top rate, of it. We should raise we, the prices. Yeah, we are we are out of time today, Steve. Okay. But I want to remind our audience that they can purchase the complete Idiot's Guide to Private Investigating. That you are going to have an ebook out probably in the late fall, and that any listener can contact you at Stephen S T E V E N K Brown dot com, yeah. and. Uh, and, and read about the book too. If you want, yeah, if you want a personalized copy of the book, you know, signed, I'd be glad to do that. Excellent, appreciate that. So, thanks for listening today to Vicky Child's show, PI Answers, on Hear Women Talk, broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Steve. All right, thank you, Vicky. See you.